Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And before we get started with today's topic, I do want to issue a disclaimer. This is not going to become a politics YouTube channel. It's not going to be the Trump impeachment, Amendment 25, Biden administration, political news channel that many of you may be looking for, but many of you are also not. Nope. This first week of the year 2021 has just really not seen a lot of news on the media fronts, whether that's video games or movies or television. It's been a bit of a dead period when on the politics front, it has been anything but with a lot of interesting constitutional questions and a lot of interesting questions that relate to the last days of the Trump presidency, the opening days of the Biden presidency. And so I'm covering them here because I find them interesting. I think a lot of you find them interesting, but you do not have to worry if you like virtual legality for the things that we do outside of this purview. That is all going to come back. That's what I prefer as well. But there just isn't a lot of news out there. And so this is the most interesting stuff in the world of law as it stands today. Now, on your screen right now, you see President Trump protected by some Secret Service members. A lot of folks had come into the comments to my videos, had come into my social media, a lot of folks, and said, okay, if he gets removed from office, doesn't he lose his pension? Doesn't he lose his Secret Service protection and a lot of other stuff? Isn't that what makes this whole process worthwhile if it is, in fact, worthwhile. And I said, well, I'd have to look into those laws because I don't think they are as easy uh, as some folks are suggesting, whether that's in the Twitter sphere or on other forms of social media. And in researching for this video, I can promise you that it is in fact not that easy and that there's a lot of constitutional questions, a lot of vagaries and ambiguities that really pop up when you consider the scenario before us today. So just like in the last video where we talked about this, I want everybody to clear their minds of the actual specifics at hand here. I know that's difficult. I know this is important to a lot, if not all, of the people that are watching this video or listening to this as a podcast, but I think it's enormously useful to try to clear your minds of the specifics here in order to best understand the legal framework, right? Now, the Democrats have introduced articles of impeachment in the House as of an hour ago that basically accused the president of inciting violence against the government of the United States. You can see that here. You can see it described. This will be linked in this video so that you can read it to your heart's content at your own time frame. But for purposes of this discussion, all we need to know right now is that a president with nine days left in office has had articles of impeachment introduced against him. And if you go and you read these articles, I know some of you hate CNN, so I apologize for that, but they had the best kind of overall description of what had happened this morning. If you go and you look at the time frame here, the Senate is unlikely to take up these articles of impeachment basically until the day that President Trump leaves office. I think they're going to take it up on about the 19th. I think that's when the Senate is called back into session. So what we've got here is a scenario in which a president of the United States is very likely to sit till the end of his term and then potentially have a trial for impeachment occur after his term has ended. Now, why do folks do that? As we talked about in that prior video, one of the reasons is that in the Constitution itself, and we'll be looking at this section as part of this video, there is a penalty for being impeached that is more than just removal from office. It is also disqualification from future offices. So if you are in the House or the Senate and you agree that the president is worthy of impeachment on these issues, then you might do it after he has left office, not to remove him, obviously he's gone, but to disqualify him from running again or running in some other federal 
capacity. So there is a reason to do it, I have to admit. Actually impeaching and convicting someone that has already left office, especially at the presidential level, is not something that we have done in the United States before. So there is an open constitutional question on that as well. But I think because that disqualification step is a part of the Constitution itself, it's very likely to be upheld as something that Congress can in fact do. But keep it in your mind because it's something that's going to come up again as we look at the Former President's Act. Now, there are a couple of interesting things here. This was the best site that kind of put it all together. And this is from the archives. These are the folks that actually have to archive the presidential materials and are charged with that responsibility. They keep on their website a copy of the Former President's Act. You can see I've highlighted in green here. It's not 3 USC 102. It's not a part of the code formally. It's a note to that section 102. And 102 is actually the section that describes the president's compensation while he holds the role, which is as of right now, $400,000 paid monthly. As a note to that particular statute, the former president's act comes in and says, well, the president is going to get a whole bunch of other stuff after he leaves office. So let's read about it. Each former president shall be entitled for the remainder of his life to receive from the United States a monetary allowance at a rate per annum per year, payable monthly by the Secretary of the Treasury, which is equal to the annual rate of basic pay as in effect from time to time of the head of an executive department. So he's not going to get paid the $400,000 for president. He is going to get paid a lot of money. And we're just talking about a hypothetical president that's not facing impeachment for purposes of this discussion. And in order to determine what that money is, you have to dive into a couple statutes. First, you look at the executive departments. You see what we would expect. Department of State, Department of Treasury, Department of Defense. Then you have to go and find how these people are paid. You see that they are described as level one on the executive schedule. This matches up with what we just saw, state, treasury, defense, etc. Then you have to go and find the actual executive schedule itself and see that as of January 2020, a level one executive department head receives $219,200 per year, which doing the math means that an ex-president right now leaving office would receive about $18,000, a little bit more than $18,000 per month for the rest of his life, the remainder of his life. It's a pretty good pension if you can get it. And that's one of the reasons why folks have asked the question as to whether a president that gets impeached and convicted or removed under the 25th Amendment and all these good things would still get paid this. And as you can tell from the parenthetical and the thumbnail, the answer is maybe. We have more to discuss. Section B here says the administrator of general services shall provide for each former president an office staff. Each former president shall fix basic rates of compensation for persons employed for him under this paragraph, which in the aggregate shall not exceed $96,000 per annum, except that for the first 30-month period, it will not exceed $150,000 per annum. And the annual rate of compensation payable to any such person shall not exceed the highest annual rate of basic pay now or hereafter provided by law for positions at level two of the executive schedule. We go back here. Nobody gets more than $197,000. Uh, for a former president's office staff in that capacity. And that all makes sense. So what right now we have a former president leaves office. He's going to get paid a little bit more than 18 grand a month. He's going to be able to have a staff at about six figures uh, per year. The administrator of general services shall also furnish for each former president suitable office space, appropriately furnished and equipped. So they go and they find an office suitable to a president. What does that mean? Don't know. Probably at least slightly lavish for a former president of the United States. And they get that office for free or more specifically paid by the taxpayers of the United States. 
Additionally, the widow of each former president shall be entitled to receive from the United States a monetary allowance of $20,000 per annum. Note that that's not per month, that's per year. This is a relatively small amount, especially as we move forward with inflation and in the years to come. And that goes away after they die, of course, or if they remarry before becoming 60 years of age. So there's a lot of money on the line. This is a pretty valuable pension package, very much unlike what you or I might be seeing in our general employment or lives uh, on the regular. But there's a catch, and it's the catch that I think a lot of people have focused on and what they want to discuss as part of this video. So we've got the Former Presidents Act. Former President actually isn't capitalized like I would expect it. The former specifically isn't capitalized, but this statute defines that term anyway. As used in this section, the term former president means a person who shall have held the office of president of the United States of America, sure, who does not then currently hold such office, skipping ahead, and then from two, whose service in such office shall have terminated other than by removal pursuant to section four of article two of the Constitution of the United States of America. Now that's interesting, right? If you remember from the video that we did last week, Article 2, Section 4 is very specific. It's the section that says you get removed on impeachment. The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So what does this act actually say? It says, if you are removed from your office by being convicted of impeachment, you lose these rights. Now, There's a couple of interesting things there. First, you have to be removed from office by virtue of your impeachment. So one of the things that I mentioned at the top of this video is that President Trump is very unlikely to be removed from office just based on the timing of all of this. He's going to end his term. That's how his service in office will be terminated. And even if the Senate goes forward from here, from the date on which President Biden takes over, and the Senate decides to convict him on the impeachment claims in the articles brought forth today, since he won't be removed, he will be disqualified from office, but he probably still gets to keep his pension, right? A lot of people have asked, will he get to keep his pension if all of this goes down in this way? And the answer is, if he isn't removed from office by the way the text of this law reads, and this text you could argue is wrong, I'm certainly inclined to think so myself, that because this text says you have to be removed from office, whose service in such office shall have terminated other than by removal, you're still a former president. So even if he gets impeached or more specifically convicted of impeachment after the fact, he's still a former president for purposes of this act. He probably gets the right to receive this pension the entire time because he wasn't removed as a result of the impeachment. The other thing that comes up here is a constitutional question. It's not one that I would want to be defending were I the president's counsel on these questions, but it is still an important one to grapple with. And that is in Article 1 of the Constitution that we talked about last week. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments, right? The House introduces the articles, they send it over to the Senate, and then the Senate gets to hold that trial. We know about this already from just last year, but the next section is important. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. 
And then it continues, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law, civil and criminal liability in a different capacity from just running and holding office in the United States. But that first part is pretty important. The actual Constitution of the United States says judgment in cases of impeachment shall not do anything else except remove the person from office, obviously, if they're still holding the office, and disqualifying them from holding an office in the future. I can certainly see a situation in which someone so inclined to do so, even after being otherwise uh, thrown out of office, and again, the president isn't likely to have this particular scenario because of the timing here, say to the court, whether it gets to the Supreme Court or not, that, hey, this law as written this way is unconstitutional. And if you aren't familiar with civics or you just don't remember those classes from high school or maybe before, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. When the Supreme Court is deciding on whether or not to void a statute, a law that was passed by Congress, or to hold it to be interpreted in a different way than Congress would like it to be interpreted, primarily what they are saying is it is unconstitutional. It goes against the actual rules set forth in the Constitution. And because laws are lower than the Constitution, it is kicked out or it's amended to be changed so that the Constitution applies to it properly, whatever it might be. Go ask Chief Justice Roberts. I can't ever tell you what the Supreme Court is going to do on any question. So in this particular case, you actually have as part of the Constitution a statement that says, this is all impeachment will do. And then you have a law passed by Congress that says impeachment will also make somebody not a former president and effectively cost them millions of dollars uh, in pension. Now, if you're sitting here watching this, or you're listening to this, you probably think as I do, well, that's all right. Yeah, if somebody is convicted of impeachment, that means that the Congress in general has held that they're a very bad person and we don't necessarily want to be in the business of using taxpayer dollars to pay pensions to those people. We can imagine things that everybody on earth could agree with were impeachable offenses that the House and the Senate passed in two minutes and we'd still be paying them a pension if the constitutional argument here won the day. But I'm a textual reader of the Constitution. That suggests to me that maybe this needs to be clarified in and of itself. Maybe there needs to be a further amendment to the Constitution that says, oh, by the way, you also lose any statutory rights and payments that you might otherwise have. And why would that be necessary? Because the former President's Act isn't all that old. The former President's Act is not something that was contemplated by the founders, these kinds of pensions and office spaces and staff and everything else. So when they said in the Constitution, this is all it can do, it was really meant to juxtapose with the second part of the sentence, which is to say, you can't impeach and convict somebody holding office and then throw them in jail for that conviction. You still have to go through the legal process. And when you see it in that light, it makes a lot of sense. Judgment in cases of impeachment is just about your office holding. They are still liable under the law. Makes sense as a concept. But when you bifurcate it and when you contemplate it against things like pensions, you've got a little bit of a problem. The bigger problem for, I think, some folks is actually going to be with respect to the Secret Service. So if we go below this definition and we actually look at what the Secret Service statement does in the former President's Act, it doesn't do what I think a lot of people think it does. There are authorized to be appropriated to the administrator of general services up to a million dollars for each former president and up to $500,000 for the spouse of each former president each fiscal year for security and travel. So the United States, outside of this pension, which now seems a little bit minor when put against this, is willing to pay $1.5 million for the president and his wife 
or the president and her husband, and to go and have security and travel for those expenses. Now, that's a lot of money, but it also wouldn't apply to a former president that has all this trigger against him. But that's also not all. Provided that under the provisions set forth in Section 3056, we'll get there, the former president and or spouse was not receiving protection for a lifetime provided by the United States Secret Service under Section 3056. So the administrator of general services is authorized to appropriate $1.5 million for security and travel of the president and his or her spouse unless the former president and or spouse is receiving protection from the Secret Service for a lifetime. Now, all of this language maybe doesn't make sense to you because you know that the Secret Service protects presidents for a lifetime, but that wasn't always the case. And in fact, it was the Obama administration that restored Secret Service protection for a lifetime under that very act, Title 18, United States Code 3056, which we can go look at right now, which says, under the direction of the Secretary of Homeland Security, the United States Secret Service is authorized to protect the following persons, former presidents and their spouses for their lifetimes and children of a former president who are under 16 years of age. And there is no caveat for how the president in question was removed or not removed or impeached or otherwise. Now, you might look at this phrase and say, well, Rick, I'm looking at it. It says former president, just like it says former president in the act about former presidents that we were just reading. And I would say, yes, you are absolutely right. But that's not how law works. If you actually go and look very carefully as the definition of former president, it's as used in this section and not in section 3056. And that's necessary when you're talking about federal statutes. They're thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages long. And each given section is probably going to use its own definition section so as to be specific to what it is talking about. So these restrictions on a former president don't apply to the Secret Service, which means that the act about the Secret Service just generally applies to anyone that was once the president and the spouse of that person. So it's very unlikely that President Trump or any other president is going to lose their Secret Service protection. And I think even in the case of impeachment or removal or other bad things, that probably makes sense. These folks are going to be targets uh, and potential targets of bad actors of all stripes. So I, I do think that the Secret Service protection is probably justified. But these folks that we're talking about, whether it's President Trump or some other president or some other bad actor that you want to put in place of the president as it stands right now are potentially going to get removed because a lot of the folks in the United States think they are deserving of removal. And then the question becomes, should they be protected? Right now, the law says yes. The law says they should be protected. And in kind of a bit of irony, one of the interesting things about the way former president works here is that if the president were to resign, he would receive his pension. If he were to be removed by the vice president, under the 25th Amendment, which we talked about last week, he would receive his pension. He would receive all this money. He would have all of these rights. The narrowly tailored carve-out to former president is service terminated other than by removal pursuant to Section 4 of Article 2 of the Constitution. It's only impeachment and conviction, which means that what we're talking about here is a president that is very likely to keep all of this, regardless of what the House or Senate does, regardless of what Vice President Pence or the cabinet does with respect to the 25th Amendment. If he resigned tomorrow, he would get all this stuff, which is why the thumbnail to this video says what it says. It's probably less than you think when we talk about what the president might lose in all of the scenarios that CNN is discussing, that Twitter is discussing, that YouTube is discussing. And that isn't me saying that any of that is right or any of that is wrong. 
please feel free to leave your own comments and thoughts as comments to this video because I know a lot of passions are raised right now about all of these topics and I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts are. But as it stands right now, because of the way this was written and because the carve out to the actual definition of former president is so small and faces constitutional issues on top of it, I think it very likely that whatever happens to the current president of the United States, that president is likely to receive the pension in full, the office staff, the office placement, the Secret Service protection, and those travel expenses related to the Secret Service protection. So that's been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you found this informational and educational. Again, we aren't going to just be talking about these things. You can expect some more game publishing agreement section read-throughs as part of my channel this week, as well as whatever news might pop up in the fun world of pop culture compared to the reality of politics as it stands today. But until then, I'm going to still covering these things as they are interesting to me. I think they're interesting to you. And a lot of people are asking me questions that show a lot of misunderstanding about the facts on the ground. So if you like this, please like, subscribe, share, ring bells, tell folks that we are having discussions of this nature on this channel. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.